It is good to be with you, and uh, thanks for the opportunity uh, to come and share with you and see my new granddaughter. So it was a win-win for me. Um, I'd like to ask you this morning, if you could, to open your Bibles to Ephesians, New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. I'm reading from the ESV. Um, I'm not sure what you may have there, but you can follow along or you can feel free just to listen as I read. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. This verse is titled in many Bibles, and it is in my Bible, it's titled, this section is titled, Unity in the Body of Christ. And actually what Paul is talking about to the people of Ephesus is he's talking about unity, the importance of unity in the church and how to get unity. And that's what we're going to focus a little bit on this morning is unity in the church, the importance of unity and why we need unity, and how we get unity as a church, because it's certainly not easy. Not easy for a church to live in unity. Ephesians 4 starts out in verse 1. It says, You, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. It's interesting that the word you there in English is just Y-O-U, but in Greek it's you all. It's plural. So it's all of you. So what Paul is saying is, I urge all of you, you all, to walk worthy of your calling. What Paul is talking about is that we walk together. That's what he's telling us to do. He says, as the church in Ephesus, I want you to walk together. Now, let me uh, remind you of an example of that in the New Testament, and as I referred to in the children's message, Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came and the church was born. And if you remember, it was born initially a multicultural church and multilingual. The very first Christian church was multicultural and multilingual. And the miracle was they actually understood each other. And as you read that story, it's a fascinating story how the Holy Spirit came and He brought men and women of different cultures together and different languages and they understood each other. And then, and I believe these were Presbyterians in Acts chapter 2, they wrote a report. (laughs) At the end of the meeting, they had minutes. And if you look at the end of chapter 2, you will see the report. And I'm not going to read that to you, but I am going to tell you what's in the report, just kind of a highlight of what was there in the minutes. The minutes say that the early church, all these new Christians, that they stayed together in the teachings of Christ. That that's what they did. Frequently, they were together, listening to the teachings of Christ. It says that they ate together. They were certainly good Presbyterians. They prayed together. They saw signs and wonders. They saw God's miracles. And they said they were marveled by that. They were very generous. It says that everything everyone had, they freely shared it with everybody else in the group. So nothing was mine, it was all just ours. 
And then the report goes on to say that they praised God frequently. And then it says they went into each other's homes and what did they do? They ate together. Twice it says in this report that they ate together. That was the report from the early church, a unified church. An amazing new church that it was born out of the day of Pentecost. And we see a church where they're praying together, they're worshiping together, they're learning the teachings of Christ together, they're eating together frequently, they're seeing miracles done among their congregation. And they're unified. They're so unified that nothing is their own. Everything is shared freely with each other. That's what Paul's talking about. They were walking together. They were walking together as they had been called by God to walk. That's what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4, verse 1. He's saying they walk together in unity. That's what we need to do, is walk together in unity. You know, Paul goes on to explain that there were some attitudes that they had that produced this unity. And in reality, if we're going to have unity in the church, we've got to change our attitudes. And Paul gives us an idea of what those attitudes should look like. Let me illustrate it before I give you the attitudes. I was talking to a friend of mine who was a missionary in China. And he was telling me uh, um, that his ministry in China is to train people to be leaders so that they can proclaim the gospel and also be leaders in the church. And so that's his ministry in China. You may not know, but China's exploding as far as Christianity is concerned. Within just a few years, there will be more Christians in China than in the United States. Now, China has a much bigger population than we have, but in a very short few years, there will be more people that profess to be Christian in China than even in the United States. And so one of the great needs there is leadership, Christian leaders. And he was talking about how do we measure when a Christian leader is actually an effective, mature leader. And so I had this conversation with my friend who's a missionary in China, and we talked about, well, maybe you could give them a test, you know? Maybe you could test them on verses of the Bible, and maybe you could test them on Greek and Hebrew, and maybe you could test them on theological concepts, and they could do a multiple choice, and then check the boxes, and then you'd say, oh, 98%, that one's a mature, strong Christian. We realize that's not going to work. Even you realize that's not going to work. Being a mature, strong Christian leader is more than having a lot of knowledge, something else. And the more we talked about it, I said to my friend, I said, I'll tell you what I'd do if I were you who's trying to evaluate the success of your training program, is I would go to their family. And I would go into their home and I would say, you know, Sally or John, whoever the Christian leader in training is, I'd say to their family, I'd say, are they different? Are they easy to get along with? Are they people that, that you like to be around? I would go to their neighbors and I would ask the same question. I'd say, Sally and John, are they good neighbors? Are they ethical? Are they honest? Are they people who are always in conflict and difficult? Or are they easy to get along with? I would go to their co-workers and ask the same question. Because maturity is found in how well we get along with other people. And if we are Christian leaders, we should be getting along with other people. So I said, that's how I would evaluate your training program. I would evaluate it by asking the people they're around every day if they're easy to be around. Those are attitudes. 
that atmosphere is created by attitudes. Verse 2 gives us one of those attitudes. Humility. Paul says if you're going to have unity in the church, you've got to have humility. Now, Jesus talked about being poor in spirit. That's humility. Jesus talked about being the servant of all, not being the master, but being the servant. That's humility. The idea of humility, at least the kind of humility that Jesus is teaching, is that we honor others more than we honor ourselves. That's humility. Others are more important than we are. We honor others before we would honor ourselves. I thought that parents are probably the greatest example of humility. You probably never thought about that as a parent. Well, you are. Because you want your children to be more successful than you were or than you are. That's humility. You want your children to make better grades than you made in school. You want them to have a better education than you got. You want them to have a bigger house than you have. You want them to be more faithful and more generous in church than you were. You want them to succeed in ways you never succeeded. And when they do, it doesn't bother you. When your neighbors do, it does bother you. But when your children succeed, it doesn't bother you. You're happy about that. You're celebrating the fact that they make more money, they got a better education, they're doing better in life than you ever did, and as a parent you find great satisfaction in that. And you don't mind that you sacrificed and you worked hard so that they could achieve that. That's humility. That's exactly what was going on in Acts chapter 2. They were working for the benefit of each other more than their own benefit. I have a friend, his name is William Alice. He's a Cumberland Presbyterian Hispanic minister. And he lives in Birmingham. And William is bivocational. He preaches on Sunday. He's going to preach this afternoon in Birmingham because their worship services are Sunday afternoon. And then he will work as a carpenter all week long. So he's a carpenter and also a Cumberland Presbyterian minister. When something needs to be fixed in my house, I call William because he knows how to fix it. Not long ago, a few months ago, I called him because I needed to replace an exterior door. Now, I could have read up it on Google and figured it out, and in two days, I probably could have got the door in. But I thought, I'll just call William because he'll do it in no time at all. And he does this kind of stuff every day. So I call William, as I usually do when I need help, and I said, William, will you come put in an exterior door for me? And he said, yeah, go to Lowe's and buy the door you want, and I'll come by and put it in. So I went in and I bought two doors. I bought me an exterior door and a storm door. And I called William, and he showed up with two trucks and a crew of six men, because he's got a pretty good carpenter business. And William and his crew showed up, and in 45 minutes they had both doors in, and it looked good. And as always happens with William, because he's a Hispanic from El Salvador, we fight about money. And so William came into the kitchen after everything is put up and the trucks are ready to leave, and I begin the dance that I always do with William about money. I said, well, William, what owe you? And William said, you don't owe me anything. And I said, William, no, it doesn't work that way. you got three small kids. You're a pastor. I'm going to pay you. And William says, but, Lynn, you travel around the world. You work with missionaries. You do mission work. I want to bless you. And I say, no, William, I want to bless you because you're a bivocational pastor. you got three small kids. You're trying to take care of them. I'm going to pay for those doors. And William says, no, you're not going to pay for those doors. Every time William comes to my house, we have the same argument. 
Now, you have people in your life where you have this same kind of argument too, I know. That is humility. I want William to be the richest, most successful carpenter there is in Birmingham, Alabama. And William wants me to be a successful director of missions. And we're both working for the success of the other. And that's why we always fight about money when we get together. I want to bless him, and he wants to bless me. That's what you see in Acts chapter 2. They were just sharing their stuff with each other because they cared about each other. And they wanted to bless each other. Walk together in humility. Walk together in humility if you want a church that's unified. And there was another attitude there that I'd like to bring your attention to, the attitude of meekness. In verse 2, it also talks about gentleness, or in some versions of the Bible, it says meekness. Now, meekness is where we give our positions and our possessions to the Lord. And now we're just caregivers. We're stewards of the possessions and the positions that God has entrusted to us. We give to Him. The opposite of meekness is anger. When somebody takes my stuff or they disrespect my position, it makes me mad because it's mine. And so when they take my stuff and I don't give them permission to take my stuff or they damage my stuff or they don't respect my position as a director, as a father, as a leader, as whatever I am, that makes me mad. Anger is always the opposite of meekness. So if we give our possessions and if we give our positions to the Lord, we live in peace. And we also realize that it is God who provides both of those things. Whatever we have comes from God, and whoever we are is a gift from God. Let's say that I have a friend that comes over to the house and he eats dinner with me one night. And we have a good dinner, and we visit, and we share together, and then he leaves later that night. And let's say the next day I go to Walmart, and I see my friend in Walmart, and he is wearing my leather jacket, the one I had handmade in Columbia, South America, just for me. And I know it's my leather jacket because there isn't another one in the world like that leather jacket. He didn't ask my permission. He didn't ask to take my leather jacket. If he'd asked, I'd probably loaned it to him, but he didn't even ask. He obviously went into the closet while he was at my house, and he took out my leather jacket, and he's wearing it without my permission. I'm furious. I am furious. Now, I've seen my daughters, and one of them is sitting up there, have the same problem over socks, wearing each other's socks. Tell me that we don't own stuff and we believe we own that stuff and when people mess with it, they touch it, they damage it, or they take it away from us, we're furious because it's ours. But what if I saw my neighbor wearing my other neighbor's coat? Not my coat, but the neighbor that lives down the hill. Wouldn't bother me at all. Would not bother me at all. Well, he's wearing John's coat. I'm sure John's happy about that. I wouldn't care. But when it's my coat, I do care. That's why Jesus said, when you find your neighbor in Walmart wearing a coat, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to go up to your neighbor and you say, you know, i got a shirt that looks real good with that coat. And I think if you'll come by the house, I'll give you that shirt and it looks good with the coat. And you'll be looking good. And i got a Fedor hat that you can put on. And every security camera in Walmart is going to be watching you when you start walking up and down the aisles of Walmart because you're going to be looking good. That's what Jesus said. When a person takes your shirt, you give them your cloak. What Jesus is saying, free yourself. Live in peace. 
I will take care of you. Everything you have comes from me. And I will take care of you. There is another example of this in the New Testament. Jesus was brought before Pilate. And it was before the crucifixion of Jesus. And Pilate said to Jesus, remember, he said, you're the king of the Jews, aren't you? And Jesus didn't say a word. And Pilate said, no, no, no. You are the king of the Jews, aren't you? And Jesus didn't say a word. And finally, Pilate, in exasperation, he said to Jesus, he said, don't you know who I am? I have the power to put you to death. And then Jesus spoke up. He said, the only thing you can do to me is what God allows you to do to me. You only have the authority to do what God has given you the authority to do. Jesus understood that the position he's had was a position that God had given him and that God would defend his position. And ultimately, Pilate, as you know, helped with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And as you know, three days later, Jesus arose from the dead, the King of the, King, the, King of the Jews, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. God will always defend His positions. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us through the letters of Paul, is that if we will give our positions to God and our possessions to God, and we will take the position of a caregiver, of a steward of those things, we will live in peace. We will walk together. Lastly, Paul tells us one more thing in verse 3. He says you've got to be patient because <laughs> not everybody in church is humble and meek. There's some of you out here that are not very humble and not very meek. That's what Paul would say. And so what do we do about the people in church that are not humble and they're not meek? Paul says, you're long-suffering, you're patient. I go to a church in Birmingham, I've been going there for over 20 years. And uh, I am a pastor, but because of my responsibility with the denomination, I can't pastor church because I travel a lot. But I've been going, and Nona and I, and even our kids, we've all gone to the same church for over 20 years. And there's something I've seen in my church, just like you've seen in your church. There are people that come. They get mad, and they go. And three years later, they come back. And they stay two or three years, they get mad, they go again. In two or three years, they come back. If you're in the church for over 20 years, you'll see some of them have come and gone several times. And in my church, and it's probably no different than your church, every time they get mad and they leave, and then they come back, you know what we do? Open arms. Come on back. Here we are. Let's give it another try. And we love them and we do the best we can. That's patience. Because not everybody is humble and not everybody is meek. And for those that come into our group and they're not humble, they're not meek, and conflicts come and anger comes, what do we do? We keep our arms open and we say, come back. And when you come back, we're here. We're here to love you. We're here to care for you. And every time they leave and every time they come back, we do the same thing. We walk together. How do we walk together? We walk together in humility. We walk together in meekness. We walk together in patience. 
I'd like to ask you to bow your heads as we pray together. Dear Lord, we realize that we are a troubled people. That when there is opportunity for a kind word, we often say an ugly word. When there's an opportunity to show compassion, we show anger. When there's a moment when we can do something positive and touch a life, we become apathetic and do nothing. So we ask, Lord God, that through your Holy Spirit, you would change us and that we would be better people. Lord, help us be humble. Help us be meek. Help us be patient. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.